Hello and welcome to another episode of CISO Tradecraft, the podcast that provides you with the information, knowledge, and wisdom to be a more effective cybersecurity leader. Today, we're going to talk about money. Basically, as an executive, you need to be able to run an effective budget. But what happens is, as CISOs, we spend the majority of our career learning technology skills and tool sets and managing our people, perhaps. But budgeting and resource management sometimes comes as an afterthought. But being able to do it effectively could be a key performance differentiator in your job as a security leader. A lot of what we've learned in the past has pretty much come from on-the-job training. We figure stuff out, we get it right, great. We get it wrong, we pay the penalty, and then maybe within the next year or so, we get to try to correct that. Well, our goal today is to be able to give you some insights by talking to an expert who's been through a number of CISO roles, but also learned an awful lot about budgeting. And originally, we're going to give you a big, long episode with the whole preamble on it. But my guest was just so eloquent that, you know what, we're going to give him the whole show. And so to help with this podcast, let me introduce you to a special guest after we hear from our sponsor. Meet Nucleus, the only risk-based vulnerability management platform purpose-built for the world's most complex enterprises. Nucleus takes the mountain of vulnerability data that's produced by your security stack and unifies it into one clean dashboard that helps you make sense of your assets and vulnerabilities. With Nucleus, users get a normalized and deduplicated list of vulnerabilities across network devices, clouds, applications, and more. And next, they layer in risk and vulnerability intelligence from sources like Mandiant to help you prioritize the vulnerabilities that matter most. Ready to see how Nucleus can help improve your vulnerability management program? Head to NucleusSec.com today. And I'm privileged to have today a special guest, Nick Vigier, who's going to share some tricks of the trade that he's found to be helpful in his role as a CISO. Nick, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot. Pleasure to be here. Yeah. Hey, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and the audience and about your background? Yeah, absolutely. Someone who's passionate about security, but didn't know it at the time. But I started my career in as a network engineer for the New York Stock Exchange. Started doing some security work about three years into that. I was sitting next to the security team and started doing pen testing and then spent about 12 years in financial services where the next gig was basically doing everything security. So I was fortunate enough to work for someone who really saw the full breadth of what security and risk management is, as opposed to just like InfoSec and just doing what some people think that security is. So I learned how to do bug sweeping, right? Pretty cool. I was there for about seven years. And what I came to realize just from a rounding out perspective of what I wasn't learning was budgeting. It's actually germane to this. I went from a small financial services company, that was like 400 people to Sony. And with a very specific goal of learning budgeting and what it was like working for a huge company. And I got thrown right into it. And there I was paired up with a forensic accountant who taught me the ropes and I learned to appreciate it. And then also just got to work with an amazing team and build up my network. And then since then, I've had a few different CISO roles, a CIO gig mixed into there, and I've done some advisory work at a few different companies. So it's been an interesting journey. And I'm now the CISO at Talend, which is a French data ELT company. That's fascinating. See, all the places you've gone... And I don't see any gray hair on you. <laughs> so <laughs> I know. It's like you're waiting all of a sudden, like this Dorian Gray picture is getting older and older somewhere in a closet, and you keep going. But that's some fascinating background, particularly in the budgeting and then working in the security and seeing is an expansive type of a experience. As they say, bug sweeping and things like that is not typically what you'd find in the cybersecurity role, but it's neat stuff. 
And so from your perspective, can you tell me a little bit more about what you perceive a CISO does? It's a real role about. So for me, it's really fundamentally, my role is about facilitating informed decision-making, right? And we have the base the cybersecurity hat is like the protect the house side in my mind, right? The security and risk management hat to me is really what's much more important on the CISO side. And that's about bringing truth to the business and helping the business make informed decisions about what risks they're taking. And then, you know, businesses make money by taking risk. So then our job is to try to help mitigate that as much as possible within the bounds of a risk appetite. So for me, it's about understanding the entire organization, understanding how it makes money, what all the different teams do, having relationships in all the different teams across the entire company. And then having, I, I typically build it out as having certain silos. So product security, if you're a product company, uh, where my company now is a SaaS company, it is having the, the platform security. So the product security side is focused on like how you build the things that you sell. The platform security side for me is where the things run that you built. And then got the enterprise security side that secures how the company does its work. So you've got all your you know SaaS apps and everything else. And then you've got the and security operations. And then you've got your GRC side that kind of overlays on top of everything and provide the, the guardrails. And so my job as a CISO is to basically help the organization figure, understand what it has, understand where the gaps are, and then figure out, hey, how do we make decisions about what to address or not? And I agree with you very strongly in your first point. I, I tell people our role as cybersecurity professionals is to help our management team make informed risk-based decisions. And you've reflected that that well. But of course, with all the varieties of tools and activities and the people we have working for us, it's not free. It'd be nice to get everybody, yeah, it's all free, but it's not. And so what turns out is we really need to have a good understanding of budgeting to be able to do this effectively. If we want to enable our critical resources and be able to get the right things online when we need them instead of being a panic situation, what type of a budget process knowledge does a CISO really need to have to be effective? Well, first off is understanding what a budget is, right? Kind of the basics and things that I didn't really understand until I went to go work at Sony, where it was, you know, oh, let's break it down to OpEx and CapEx and what's the narrative and what are the metrics that the company is you know, trying to hold to and you know, all those elements. And I think it's really about first and foremost is understanding what that what a budget is, right? And then it's a matter of figuring out what do we need to what do we what is the spend that we need to do? But there's also the framing of it, right? Is it spend or is it investment? And I think we always look at it as a spend. We all, and when you talk about spend, you're talking about overhead, right? Uh, when you talk about investment, you're talking about growth. And so for me, it's about, you know, if you understand how budgets are constructed, if you understand what drives the business and what the metrics are that the business is being held to, then you can frame your budget in that same way. Uh, and I think that's what's really becomes most important is making sure that you're able to communicate that. Yeah, so as you said, there's a couple dichotomies here, the operational expense or the OPEX, the capital expenditure, the CAPEX, and we can either spend things, or you said we're going to be for overhead, at which point it's got to get done. We've got to keep the lights on, don't want to be like Bob Cratchit and sit there shivering in our office trying to go ahead and make things work. We're moving our hands over our server because we're now going to try to mine cryptocurrency to heat that thing up and get a little bit more in there, or the investments from a growth perspective. So if we're looking at this, and being able to communicate effectively to our CEO, to our CFO, we need to help them not only understand how much money we want, but 
really what's the importance of our program and our program initiatives. So how do we translate our strategic vision as a CISO of what we want to accomplish, as well as the tactical stuff we got to get done into a budget and make that understandable to our executives who ultimately are going to make a decision as to whether they approve it or not? Yeah. So, you know, it comes back to that framing, right? There's what buckets your budget goes into. So is it GNA? Is it that overhead? Is it COGS? Is it part of the things that you're selling? Is it part of the, you know, the margin calculations and all of those things? Or is it R&D? Is it research and development where you can actually write that off from a tax perspective? So it's really about how you're making sure that you're framing it in that same way. So for me, looking at it as, okay, what are the table stakes? Right? Okay, yeah, we need like CrowdStrike on the endpoints. That's a table stake. That's overhead. That They're just things that you have to do. You have to have asset inventory. You have to have that vulnerability management and some basic protections in place. But then the question comes in, like, hey, what is the right amount to spend and how do we communicate that? And that's really where you start talking about business cases. And I think that's where what we're not doing as an industry in a lot of cases, we're just coming and saying, hey, here's how much I have to spend or, hey, here's what my envelope size is. And so I'm going to see how many things I can jam into that envelope. And instead of looking at it as a, if I looked at this as a business, if I looked at this like a P&L perspective, a profit and loss, like what is a revenue I'm generating from this? Can I show, and that I come back to again, what we're, the, what I, I just said before, which was, you know, is it a spend or is it an investment? And there are opportunities that we have to frame some of these things as investments versus framing them as risk mitigations. And so the, you know, one of the, one of the mantras or things that I like to think about is the business has a limited appetite for risk management, but they have infinite appetite for profits and making money. And so if you're able to take some of these things that need to get done, but you're able to frame them as how they're actually going to help accelerate the business or improve the business, that brings the CEO and the CFO along on the journey that you're not just there to lock the doors. You might actually be there to help put another floor on the house. And that's a very different conversation. So it's a matter of balancing all this together. If you're able to establish the risk posture, risk appetite, help guide the conversations around what it means to make an investment or not, or make do a spend or not, and then help the business make a decision about what those trade-offs are. I think that's where you know, you're having that conversation the way that everyone else at the table is having that conversation. And I think one of the things we've done here at MidCISO Tradecraft is look at the role here as saying, as a CISO, we're really in the business of revenue protection for the enterprise. That's a different take entirely then we're here to consume resources and just to be a spending line that doesn't generate anything because if you become just a commodity spend line you're like the toilet paper they're going to buy the cheapest stuff they can get to meet the compliance okay fine mm -hmm. and then it's a hygiene factor if it's there okay but if it's not there people complain but you're not you're not going to score points by getting the triple ply that the bears like to have unless you get to the executive washroom which is why we want to all go up there <laughs> and so that is very important in the communication, as you say, the business cases, being able to translate that from a risk appetite perspective. I like your distinction that unlimited appetite for profit, more limited appetite for risk, although rarely do you tend to get a lot of profit without risk. And as we've seen in some particular cases, and we were talking earlier before the show about cryptocurrency world, is for a while, it seemed like that was it, like the no risk way to get rich. And of course, all that runs out very quickly because everybody comes in and it normalizes. But as we look at the budgeting, assuming that we've been able to get resources, typically as we come toward the end of a fiscal year, 
there's user lose money. Now, in the federal government, it was a double sword because what would happen is if you didn't spend it by the end of the year, not only would you not get to roll it over, but they would take that off of your top line next year. And so for the first 11 months of the fiscal year, no. And all of a sudden, September, bye, 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 bye. And everybody kind of goes crazy. Sometimes you buy stupid stuff. What'd you do? We bought 18,000 ballpoint pens because you never know when you're going to need them. There you go. You're good until Armageddon. But it's probably more important for a CISO to have a strategic arsenal of things that might not have gotten approved. But if you had to do a snapshot and a quick fire, something you could close the deal in 24 hours, how would you put that together? How would you put together a quick spend? Is it you're just going to wing it? Do you, you take whatever didn't get approved last year, or do you take the top three things? Or is that dynamic? How, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, it, it all depends. I mean, there's always a stable of things that you have lined up that, you know, you have a business case ready for, you've already gone through, you preemptively do the due diligence on and just make sure that you have it in the stable ready to go. And the things that are, I have cash right now that needs to get used. And you see this a little bit less, maybe like in the commercial world, definitely in the government side. And September is definitely the you know free for all time frame. But the private sector side of things, the there might be some extra money at the end of the year. It usually doesn't affect in the same way from a like cutting it off the budget for next year type of thing. The, the simple wins for me are, is there a quick win to get from a, hey, there's a pen test we've been holding off on. There is a contracting engagement that we can have someone come in and do a quick uplift for us, you know, things like that. So having a bench of initiatives or pre-cleared things that you can get done quickly. And I think having a partner in place that you can use to help execute quickly, I think become the key element. So I think it's really about having those, that optionality available to you, but always having, if you have a strategic plan, you know, the things that you would like to get done, if only you had a little extra cash, but don't wait until you have the extra cash to figure out what those things are or to get them through the paper trail or paper process that you need to go through. Try to work on that preemptively. So then you're not, if you're at the end of the year and you're suddenly trying to get something done, guess who else is trying to get stuff done at the end of the year? Everybody else. So if you make that process go smoother, you get your stuff faster and you get through the process as opposed to being stuck at the end of the year, not having gotten the deal done. Now, when I was in the government, in the military, we had a term called the color of money. We had blue dollars and red dollars and green dollars. And what essentially that meant is that certain things would either fit into OPEX or CAPEX. You couldn't cross the stream, so to speak. But we find out is that one of the things potentially toward the end of a fiscal cycle is to say, hey, if you got lose or use money, how about a training voucher? We go ahead and you can buy training for next year. You pay now and then you can cash that out. And I've seen some training companies be very effective at extracting a lot of money that way. And then, of course, producing some value later on. Is that something that you can recommend? That is definitely a great option. I think there are other examples, too, where, you know, especially with cloud now, you've got AWS Marketplace, you've got committed spend, things like that. And then maybe you're not going to hit the committed spend level that you anticipated. But, hey, we really have to hit it so we can get the discount level that we negotiated. There's another opportunity there to help each other out. I think that's, from a budgeting perspective, this is another really important thing for for CISOs to understand is that your SRE counterparts, your infrastructure, your you know, CIO or CTO have spend that they have to do. And if you're able to execute your spend 
in their lane, it actually helps them, right? And then it's a win-win. You can get a deal done faster because you're going through a marketplace and you're helping them hit the commits, the committed spend. So they get their discount levels for their infrastructure. So to have those relationships, to understand it's more than just like, oh, I got a deal signed. It's figuring out which avenue is what's going to help execute on that. And those become those weird dollars. How do I manipulate that in the right way in order to get the job done and help the business? Now, have you run into commercial organizations that have similar, if you will, buckets of money or spending targets that we find the federal government, for example, corporations or minority owned, or in my case, a service disabled veteran owned small business, an SDVOSB. Yep. That in a way, if you can say, hey, I have a vendor and they offer something that we have. And oh, by the way, it helps you meet your spending quota targets. You actually, oddly enough, become a bit of a hero helping somebody else spend their money on your stuff, which sounds like a perfect type of a storm. And it's a great way to get your spend done. I mean, you're absolutely right. If you're getting government funds and now you have maybe weeby requirements and things like that, it's super important to do the right way and to get done. And if you have an opportunity to help that metric, and this is really important. What are the business's metrics as it relates to the financials? That's a metric, right? You mm-hmm. may have a metric around only a certain percentage of spend can be for GNA or overhead, or a certain metric around margin. And so you want to make sure that as you think about budgeting, that you're using those and taking those into account, because that's what's going to help you be part of the business conversation. Now, one of the things is that as we spend, given, let's say we have a one-year budget and, okay, fine, here's your money to execute. It never usually shows up on day one. You don't get this giant pot of money, but usually your comptroller or somebody is going to meet it out to you at regular intervals. And I learned early on in my career that you kind of need to spend as you go along. And I tend to not waste resources. Therefore, I was, if you will, well below Glidesope. But the idea was I have some major purchases coming up a little bit later. I am going to really cut down on my OPEX so I can have more CAPEX. And then what I found out is after the first budget review, about a quarter or two into it, one of the other department heads was spending like a drunken sailor, if you pardon the term. And they're like, he needs more money. We're giving him your money. But wait a minute. I'm a better steward of the resources. Yeah, but he's spending faster. He needs it. And he had a few more years experience than I did. And he kind of looked at me like, yeah, Hardy, you're an idiot. Now, now I know better, but rather than blow through money and buying boxes of pens or that you don't need, how would you recommend organizationally that CISO assess where they're at? Do they have to always spend it all ago, or is there a political element, a layer eight that's involved, or how would you recommend somebody feel that out to make sure they don't inadvertently shortchange their own budget because in their mind, they think they're saving up for a rainy day? This is where having a strong partnership with your financial planning and analysis team is really key, right? It's really about having that relationship where you're managing the P&L with your FP&A representative and keeping track of how that monthly spend goes. Like, for example, you might have someone leave your team. Well, now their accrued salary isn't getting paid out to anybody because you haven't replaced them yet. So now here's a whole bunch of money that's going back into the OPEX pool. And so trying to you, know, you got to manage all of those things together to figure out you know, how you're executing, but working closely with your FP&A team is going to help protect you. I think the other, for me, the other thing is, I think a little bit to your point, 
is one of my goals as a CISO is to make sure that my budget isn't subordinate to somebody else's budget. That someone can't just come in, like the CTO can't like come in and be like, hey, by the way, that headcount you had, yeah, I'm taking it and I'm moving it over there. Like, okay, but the headcount I have is because the business was addressing a risk item and we now have to go and adjust the risk statement at this point and things like that. It doesn't, it isn't just like moving a developer from one team to another. This is, there's an actual business reason why we're doing this. And so making sure that that budget stays atomic helps to keep a little bit of that independence and a little bit more of that control over how you're executing. Yeah. And in a way it almost, I'd almost be inclined to say here, sign here that you are accepting this risk on behalf of the organization and you're doing so personally. And if things go sideways because you pulled the resource and we don't have it anywhere, I'm not sure where you're going to be working next month. But uh, yeah, most people don't want to do that. But rather than go into that contemplating the, oh, wow, we could do this or whatever. If we think about it, though, we brought up a number of ideas so far that it's a bit of wisdom based on experience that you figured out over the years. But what are the things that going into, for example, a first CISO job that you really wish you knew about budgeting? that maybe took a mistake or took some hard learning or just sometimes what wisdom can we impart now to people so they could give them a jump on doing it right? I think it's really around, I think what one of the things that I said before was it's around the framing. It's around how you tell the story around your, around your budget. I don't want to say your spend because it's that difference between investment versus spend. It's that difference of where I'm allocating my funds so that I make sure I scale with the business. So yeah, and I, you know, I very much looked at it as, Kind of the same way that you get in all of the surveys, a percentage of IT spend or a percentage of like total revenue or whatever. Like, well, that's great, but a security team's budget is actually split out across a bunch of different areas. You know, how one percentage works against one metric versus another is going to be very different from company to company. Forget about industry to industry. And so for me, it's now more about making sure that I understand that context and that I'm also telling the full business story around it, like how much revenue can this actually generate? So like, hey, we're bringing in a tool to eliminate answering security questionnaires. Well, great, that's a lot less pain, but hey, that's also accelerating the deal cycle and bringing customers on board faster, which actually generates revenue. So how do you have that conversation to show that you're actually driving the business forward instead of just mitigating risk or minimizing bottom line impact. And so it's really partnering with the business. As a CISO, you can't be in your own little silo of excellence and just focus on the technology. You really have to understand at a business perspective. And that's why I recommend if you want to be successful there, if you haven't had a lot of experience at the business level, at least an MBA gives you book knowledge. But I remember one of the things I think I got out of my business degree, one of the most important things was becoming fluent in business and the language of business. And it's a real mindset change. You really can't go back and look at it a different way because you now have a much more expansive view and your perspective is much more understandable to the executives who are going to be working with you and they get it, you get it, and you're really more of a member of a team. Now, I remember looking at surveys of budgets. What percentage of IT spending goes to IT security? And I remember Richard Clark used to complain years ago, he says, more money is spent on coffee than on cybersecurity. And that probably was true about 20 years ago, maybe not so much today. But how important are these benchmarks? And is benchmarking 
a percentage of an IT budget, the correct thing to be looking at, or is it raw dollars or dollars per employee or dollars per revenue generated or dollars per profit or convert to whatever currency you're operating in? What's the best way to look at these things in terms of these benchmarkings? If at all, maybe it's not useful. I struggle with this. I think a little bit of what I was saying before, which is like, it's what we do is so nuanced and transversal across the entire organization and their individual like impacts and buckets right so to say like hey you know let's just use it as a metric against it spend because we think that security is more like it okay great but if i look at my actual budget 60 percent of my spend is more related to cogs and the cost of goods sold like what it takes to actually deliver our products but you can't use that metric at that point it doesn't make any sense because it doesn't actually tie back to what the business is doing and how the business needs to scale. Because that's the other thing when you pressure test these things is if a part of the business grows, like let's say your arm grows, one arm grows faster than the other, right? You're not, you have to be able to grow with it. And you have pants versus shirts might be a better analogy. Like let's say my arms get longer, faster than my legs. I need a new shirt, but I might not need new pants. If the shirt is, is your products and your cogs, but your pants are your IT, why am I measuring how big my shirt is by how big my pants need to be? You know, they're, they're unrelated to each other. And I think that taking a view that is not nuanced is, I think, naive in terms of just trying to put a number on it. Just let's just try to measure something. And maybe that's not the right thing to be measuring or the right approach. So I think that for me, it's trying to figure out what are the, what should those metrics look like? The cog security side, a percentage of the total cogs, and then the overhead side be a percentage of IT or what have you, and trying to figure out the right dials to tell a story in a more universal sense. I don't think we've gotten there yet. Yeah. And for me personally, I dislike those from a couple of perspectives. One is you may be doing just as well as everybody else as everybody drives over the cliff. You're running just as fast as the lemming next to you and are running faster than the other lemmings. It doesn't necessarily mean you're doing better. But if you focus on the mission first, executing the business, as you said, delivery of revenue, what does it take to be able to provide that enhancement? How do we get deals closed faster? How do we reduce our overhead and our costs by reducing the risk and things such as that? Now you've got a winning combination. And when the person says, well, what does everybody else get? It says, it doesn't matter. I don't want to be like anybody else. We're better than they are. And if you measure yourself against the people you're beating, that's not the way benchmarks work. Benchmarks are supposed to be find the level of excellence in your industry and try to equal and then exceed that. And so from that certain perspective, you want to look around for anybody who says, oh, so you're admitting that you're really not excellent already, that you're actually just a runner up and we could do better. We need somebody else to show us how to do our business here. And again, and not trying to be confrontational, but you can turn these things a little bit sideways to start to diffuse them early on to say, what we're doing needs to be done effectively in our environment. And our environment is what matters most. And, and what might be really interesting is instead of trying to take it as a let's measure the exhaust, but let's measure the actual gas in the tank, it might make more sense to say, why won't why not measure the level of risk being accepted? by the organization compared to its peers, right? Mm -hmm. Is your organization taking more risk? And that really then should dictate how much you spend in different areas and everything else. And so maybe that's a better way of measuring, though again, there is no 
know, gap of risk, risk management and risk scoring and things like that within security. But maybe those are better things to measure in terms of like how you're operating directionally um, rather than just a pure dollar spend. That's actually an interesting perspective. I hadn't really, I'd like to think about that a little bit more, but I'm not going to waste time on it now, but focusing upon how well are we managing risk relative to our peers? And someone says, oh, we want to spend less. It says, okay, fine. You're going to spend less. You're going to accept more risk. How much risk is too much? How much uncertainty do you want to add to us making our numbers this quarter? Well, let's move on for that. And let's think about people, because as we find out in cybersecurity, there seems to be this universal gap of talent. And I've done a talk that I put out, I think I even put together one of the episodes here called The Demise of the Cybersecurity Workforce, where I put together the contrary argument that says, just because you throw money at a problem doesn't mean that people magically appear with the right credentials. It doesn't generate new humans with new knowledge, and it takes time, and particularly when you get to more senior ranks. But for those of us who are doing our best that we can to attract and retain talent, how do we ensure that, A, we're paying them the right amount of money, that we're coordinating with HR when they say, what do you mean you want somebody in their 20s and we're going to be paying them more than the people that have been here for 20 years? They've been here longer than these kids have been alive. And yet the value that we provide is usually relative to some other positions quite high. How do we communicate that effectively to HR who might not necessarily see things our way initially? I think this is one of those things that I do in every role that I take is really that level setting around helping HR, helping finance understand that, especially for security talent, and because we have so many distinct skill sets, that the salary bands are very different than you know just, oh, hey, I'm going to go hire an SRE. But even SREs now differentiate between a sysadmin and an SRE, right? These are very different types of roles and functions. And so HR and finance haven't really kept up with that. And I think our job as CISOs and as, as leaders is to come with the data to show this is what the market's bearing. I think the, the most challenging thing right now with the economic climate is that it used to be very much an employee's market, right? People could just hop around and do whatever they wanted, demand ridiculous salaries and you know, and so it just led to this inflation. But now with companies, you know, going under and doing layoffs, it's a question of like, how long is it going to take for these salaries? Will they normalize? Will they come down? Right. Or will they just plateau versus continuing to go up? And then how do you not overpay? And I think that's what companies are really scared of right now. It's like, okay, we acknowledge that they get paid more than everybody else. Are we overpaying them to where they're, where the bands are going to be in a year? Because you can't really do pay cuts usually. So I think that's we're in this really weird state right now where companies don't want to overcommit on salary spend. We have numbers and metrics, but they're all about eight to nine months old because these surveys happen once a year. And you know how do you properly do the framing? But I think it's super important as security leaders to be the ones that help HR and finance understand the nuances of these roles that these roles aren't interchangeable parts. Like I can't take a GRC person and put them on cloud engineering. Probably not going to work out very well. They're very different skill sets, very different mindsets, very different everything. So it's trying to manage that expectation and help them understand because fundamentally the problem we have is because they just don't know and that's okay. So we need to educate. What's some good insight. Now, when we're talking about budgeting, of course, it's really what we're talking about for the show here. 
sometimes the company executives say, oh, we're going to do a holdback. We're going to hold back 10% of your budget across the board just in case we need it later on. And therefore, you're supposed to you fight for your budget. You barely eke out what you need. Then you got to fight with one hand behind your back. How do we, what do you think about that practice? And as a CISO, is there maybe some way we can answer that in a way to say, okay, you're special. We don't do that to you. It's challenging. Some of it is just the business reality, right? And saying, hey, the business needs to save money. Where are there places that we can save money? Is there spend that we can defer? I mean, I think everybody's going through this right now. And as partners in the business, I think it's really a matter of saying, here's the trade-off. Yeah, I can delay that spend, or I can buy fewer licenses, or I can delay that higher. But here is the effect, and here's how that affects our risk management process, our risk uh, appetite. And maybe the company's risk appetite has gone up because the revenues aren't where they need to be, and they need to save some money. And that's okay. No one wants to slow down. No one wants to give up budget. No one wants to have to back off their plans. But it sometimes is just the reality of business. And right now, it's a reality for a lot of businesses. So it's a matter of realizing that we can have a different kind of conversation than the rest of the business because of the whole risk appetite conversation, because of the fact that we oftentimes have visibility all the way up to the board. And sometimes the board is making the decision on whether or not risks are acceptable. And so we're empowered to have a slightly different kind of conversation about those holdbacks, but the reality is they may very well still happen. And then it's a matter of just figuring out, hey, where's the right place? How do I help without sacrifice, without doing too much that's going to hurt the business? Yeah. And again, you don't want to, you don't want to be difficult, but in a way it's a little bit like saying, since we are providing the assurance of being able to execute to mission from an IT perspective, if you want to cut back 10%, then here's the equivalent. Every other Friday, you may not put on a seatbelt. You have to, and you got to turn your bags off. Now go out and drive down the highway, do all the stuff you do, put your family in there, put your kids in there and tell all the kids, no seatbelts. And let me know how that works out for you. And again, I just, you got to re it's a way of reframing things. Cause I have found over the years that if you do that, it's, no. And then you talk to the executive is like, isn't this company important to you because it's feeding your family and it's the future for you. Then why would you treat them any less carefully? But the answer from the business is, well, then we won't take the car and we'll walk. And that's okay. And I think that's where we end up in a lot of situations where we take on too much of a sense of responsibility for saving the business. Mm -hmm. And in reality, it is a business decision. It's why defining that risk appetite and risk tolerance is super important. Why triangulating that with the board is super important and making sure that everyone understands the implications and maybe there's another route to take. But we get we get very emotional or bought into our own approach of things. And I think that sometimes we have to just maybe become a little bit more disconnected from that emotion so that we can really be true stewards of the you know risk uh, risk management for the business. And that's a good point, because I said I, I get a little bit excited about trying to protect <laughs> the, you know, the enterprise. That's what we do where there is guardians if we take that role. But. In, in doing so, we have to do a lot of stuff. We get projects and we got rollouts and we acquire stuff. And sometimes not everything goes according to budget. Sometimes it goes over time, over budget. Sometimes it goes way over budget. And there's one of the laws, I read it the other day and I forgot the name of it, but it's basically the more people you add to a project, the longer you'll delay it. And I'll have to look that up to see what that is. Some people may know it off the top of their head, but it's true in a way. So 
if a project is starting to slide, if it looks like this is one of those things where you want to obey the financial rule of don't throw good money after bad, okay, then what, what, how can you tell if that thing is happening? I mean, I think, so when you're actually like, you know, in the middle of the project, I mean, that just to me is kind of like good project management. I think the fallacy that we put ourselves into is this whole notion of sunk cost, or that's the way we've always done it and things like that, where technology changes, costs change, approaches change. It's okay to say, hey, you know what? Yeah, we spent $100,000 on that risk management solution, but it's not doing the job for us. Let's get rid of it. It's okay to get rid of it. Just because we've already spent $200,000 on it over the course of the last two years doesn't mean that that justifies its continued existence. And I think that's what we have to have the courageous conversations about. There's the, you know, is this thing going off the rails in implementation? It's just a matter of like how you're tracking it to execution and your success metrics. But I think it's the same thing to always being willing to take a look at if I had to make the same decision today that I did back then, and I had the information that I have now, would I still have made the same decision? And if the answer is no, then having the courage to stand up and say, you know what, that thing, it was fine, and or we thought it was going to deliver a certain outcome, but it hasn't. We either get rid of it or we pick a different path. And that's okay. That has to be okay. Because otherwise, you're going to be stuck in this analysis paralysis mode and or not accepting the fact that you're wasting money. And both of them are losses. And so it's a matter of figuring out how do you move with alacrity while having the flexibility to make a change or make a decision later on that doesn't put you in a blame situation. You have the psychological safety to go and actually course correct. And as a result, what we want to be able to do is have a pulse on all the activities that are going on. Some of them are going to go well, some are a low burn rate. The big deal ones probably require greater scrutiny. Because from that perspective, there's more risk involved if you're spending more money. And some of them may be a lot of spend of money, but fairly low risk. It's a well-established contractor or vendor. They know what they're doing. They've delivered for years, and it's very unlikely it's going to go sideways. And in other cases, innovation brings with it its own risk because we've done it before. That's why it's innovative. And it could provide a huge benefit for the business, or it could bottom out and things like that. And so... As you look at all these different programs and things like that are out there, how do we focus our attention among all the other things we need to do as a CISO, at least from a budgetary perspective, on what we should be looking at the most carefully, not necessarily micromanaging it, but giving it an additional scrutiny? I think it's our responsibility as leaders to kind of have a pulse on that, right? And keep an eye on where things might be going sideways or need a little bit more attention. And I think to your point, there's some proven, some people that deliver in a proven fashion that can be trusted more and more of a leash. And then others where you're like, hey, this is a higher risk project and I need to keep a closer pulse on it. I think it's just a matter of of having that level of awareness. And this again comes back to where, you know, as a CISO, you're working across the entire business. And I think that we have this really unique vantage point where and I've actually said this to some finance folks of if you want your ultimate set of business efficiency consultants, it's going to be in your security organization because we see everything. And we also see where efforts are being duplicated or where things are being missed or where things are going off track. 
And we're often the ones to try to help get it back on track or try to mitigate the risk and whatnot within that. So I think that we're uniquely equipped to spot that and to provide the support to the business to address it, regardless of whether it's a security project or not. Being able to anticipate where things are going to get complicated uh, becomes really important. It is. And we have to manage among budgets our time budget here. And this has been awesome. We're getting close to the end of the show. So any thoughts in terms of other tips or tricks that you've observed over the years that could be leveraged by our listeners? What I've thematically been saying is take a dispassionate approach to things is really for me the biggest thing. The decision is the businesses. It's not right. It's not wrong. It's just different. It's theirs. And when we have too much of a emotional stake in it, we take on too much responsibility for the decision itself. Our, our responsibility lies in the quality of the decision, not the decision itself. And so the ability to separate ourselves from that, I think, allows us to manage our stress levels a little bit more, perhaps. It allows us to deliver more effectively and act in a more balanced way. And I think that to me is the biggest tip is make sure that you're not getting into the amygdala hijacks and getting into the emotions of it. But we want to make sure we're, we're passionate about the subject, but we're not emotionally invested in it because the business may make a decision. I think to your point that, hey, we have to cut things back. Well, that's not an affront against security and the business might be willing to take some risks and that's okay. And I think that's really, you know, we as an industry need to realize that we are not the here to save everyone from themselves. We're here to make them aware of the risks that they're taking. And I think that's the biggest thing for me, for folks to think about as they go through their security careers. Uh, we're not Superman. We're not Captain America. Our job isn't that. Our job is to be amazing professionals. I love that idea of it's the quality of your decision rather than the actual content of the decision that matters. We do the best we can and to help out. I've learned a lot from you. This has really been one of my better shows in terms of having a guest on. So I do want to thank you for taking the time and the insight. And if listeners want to hear more from you or learn more anyplace else that we can come look stuff up. I don't post on social media nearly as much as I should. I mean, I should be uh, posting some more on LinkedIn. I still don't know how Twitter works and, you know, definitely don't ask me about Instagram or TikTok, but uh, yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn or hit me up and, and uh, I'll be posting some more things over the course of the coming months. That's awesome. So Nick Vigier, thank you for being on our show and for giving us the insights on the budgets, the insights and things like that as a CISO. And for our listeners, if you've enjoyed the show and if you haven't rated us already, please consider rating us on your favorite podcast channel, you know, five stars and follow us if you're not following us and let other people know where you get your insights from CISO Tradecraft, because that helps us reach out other people as well. So thank you for listening. And until next time, stay safe out there.